The Holy Gospel, according to the witness of St. Matthew, the third chapter, beginning at the first verse. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel of our Lord. Amen. Once again, our congregation has been blessed with many new members since Christmas last year. And brothers and sisters, we rejoice that you have found a place to serve God and to uh, be part of the body of Christ in our midst. You add uh, to who we are as a people of God by your decision to join our congregation. And in those new members are many people who were not raised in Christian homes. They're just beginning their walk with Christ And um, we pray that God would continue to bless you as you grow in faith, hope, and love according to God's plan and purpose for your life. But because we've had so many new members and so many are new believers, um, a lot of them have questions. And that's good. It's good to have questions. If you can't ask a question in a congregation, you're in a very dangerous place. So I'm thankful for the questions that our new Christians and new members have been asking. And one of them is... What's this Advent thing? What is Advent? And you know, um, it's an honest question. It's a fair question. Christians for centuries have been uh, taking time, the four Sundays before Christmas, to intentionally think on the coming of Christ and to heed the words of John uh, that they might prepare the way. Um, We're not doing anything new or really different as we mark the season called Advent or mark the season called Lent before Easter and Holy Week, um, some people get rather unkind in the wider body of Christ when they think about and talk about Christians like us who mark the seasons of Advent and Lent because they say, well, show me in the Bible where it says you have to have Advent. Well, the answer, it's not in the Bible. It's one of those things that we mature Christians call adiaphora. It's not required by Scripture, nor is it prohibited. And if it's something you can do in the name of Christ that builds faith and helps people grow in their discipleship, then you have the freedom in Christ to do it. Advent and Lent are adiaphora, not required by Scripture, but certainly not prohibited. And here's what's really interesting. Some of the Christians I've known, especially pastors from different church bodies, who get really red in the face and agitated about Advent and Lent. Well, they're following the liturgical calendar when they celebrate Christmas every December 25th. And when I tell some of my Southern Baptist friends that you're celebrating the Christ Mass, they get kind of nervous. But that's what Christmas is. It is the Mass, the worship, that Catholic word, Roman Catholic, for worshiping the Christ child. And when they celebrate Easter... They're following the liturgical calendar. They're just skipping the seasons of Advent and Lent in preparation. So my prayer is that Christians could just spend more time building the body 
and loving one another, instead of criticizing one another, I don't criticize Baptists from the pulpit for not marking the season of Advent. I wish they'd just leave us alone for celebrating Advent. Enough said. And in this season of preparation, the church for centuries has always taken time during Advent to remember the witness of John the Baptist. And to some people that seems peculiar because he really wasn't there in Bethlehem. So why is he part of the Christmas story? Well, the life of John and Jesus are very intimately connected. Um, And by the way, John's real name, if you look at the New Testament language, is John the baptizer. He was baptizing people in the River Jordan, wasn't he? But they were cousins, Jesus and John. The scriptures tell us that their mothers, Mary and Elizabeth, were kinswomen. They belonged to the same tribe. So somehow there's a blood relationship between Jesus and John. And the word of God tells us that when Mary found out that she was going to conceive the Savior by the power of the Holy Spirit, she went straight away to see her cousin Elizabeth. And to her surprise, Elizabeth was already six months pregnant with her son, John. So Jesus and John... um, are very closely tied together in God's plan of salvation. And those of you who know the rest of John's life and witness, um, he was executed at about the age of 30, right about the time that Jesus began his public ministry. And Jesus ministered for about three years before his crucifixion, so Jesus died at about the age of 33. And for some of you, um, you know, they died as very young men, huh? 30 and 33 years of age, according to God's plan of salvation. And in Luke chapter 7, here's another reason we spend some time remembering John. Jesus says that among mortals, John the Baptist is the greatest who's ever lived. Our magazines and our sports writers can talk about the greatest athlete of the year, the man of the year, the woman of the year. Well, Jesus says John is uh, the person of all time. No one's greater. So it's good to remember John and what he had to tell us. And I want to remind you of something about this celebration of Christmas as Christians do it, not just people who look forward to um, Santa Claus. Um, Our vision is, uh, one could say, bifocal. We certainly look back and remember the gift of the Christ child, the word made flesh, our Lord's first appearing. But we also know that he's promised to come again. And so we look to the past and we look to the future knowing that Christ has assured us that he's coming again in glory. And so we live in this in-between time between his first appearance and his second. And John says to every generation, uh, you should be making ready. You should be preparing. Because if all we're doing is preparing for a celebration of Jesus' birth some 2,000 years ago, then Christmas is really just another kind of memorial day, remembering someone who lived and now is gone. But Jesus lives. He's raised from the dead. He's coming again, and everyone who's ever lived will stand before him as he uh, comes as King of kings and Lord of lords. So it's important to remember John the Baptist and what he tells us about preparing for the coming of Christ's kingdom And here are some things that 
we should remember as we think on John and who he was and what he had to tell us. Uh, John's a prophet, and we need to remember, especially in this, this age, that prophets are not people who've gone somewhere privately and then come up with some secret insight into the future that no one else knows. True prophets do not need some expert to crack the code of their message. True prophecy has never been about secret messages, hidden clues, or numerical codes. The prophets in the Bible always do the same thing. They call God's people home. They call God's people into accountability. They remind God's sons and daughters of who they are and how they are loved by the one true God who created the universe. And they remind God's people, especially when they're disobedient, of the consequences of our sin. There's nothing secret about the words of the prophet. They always conform to God's word of truth. John was a prophet like that, and Jesus says he was the greatest. And like all legitimate prophets, the word of the Lord came to John. He didn't come up with it on his own. God came to John and used John. He was no self-proclaimed prophet, and God used him according to God's plan. And it meant his death at the age of 30. There are many so-called prophets in the world today And Jesus warned us about them so we wouldn't be tricked. He said, many will come in my name, but you test them. Don't listen to all of them. There's false prophets. And what is the measure of a true prophet? Well, it's pretty simple. Do they call us to conform our lives to the model of Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith? Do they call us to live biblically according to God's standards as written in scripture or do they claim to now have some special additional information that even contradicts the word of God there are plenty of false prophets in the second category entire religious organizations have been built upon these false prophecies but John was a prophet of the first order his message does not contradict the Old Testament it's a fulfillment of God's word It only reaffirms what the scriptures have always told God's people. And the message of John is prepare. Prepare. Get ready. Prepare the way of the Lord. We do that spiritual preparation by taking a a fearless, honest inventory of our lives. We, We look at ourselves and we acknowledge our sin And we don't just acknowledge it. God calls us through John and many other prophets to repent of it. And true repentance means not just naming sin for what it is, but then saying, God, give me the power, help me. I can't do this on my own. To turn from that sin, to resist the evil one, to say no to the lies and the empty promises of this world. See, true repentance always means an about face of coming home to God, the God who loves us and is merciful and slow to anger. And true repentance leaves no stone unturned. It requires us to take a long, hard look at our lives. So, I know you're probably doing a lot of preparing for Christmas in your homes and in your neighborhoods and at your workplaces and schools, right? 
What are the preparations that are taking most of your time and energy right now? And if your answer has to do with, oh my goodness, the travel plans, the food, the decorations, the gifts, and that's it, your preparations will be incomplete no matter how many hours you put in between now and the 25th. Christmas is more than sentiment, and it's more than gift-giving. It's not just remembering baby Jesus born of Mary long ago. It's remembering that this baby, this word made flesh, this infant died as a result of your sin and my sin on the cross. God exposes us. He calls us out in terms of our sin and disobedience not to humiliate us, but to give us life, to help us, to save us, to turn us from those things that are destructive spiritually and physically and emotionally, that we might live in the truth, that we might live in Jesus, who is the way and the life. You see, Jesus wants us to have life and have it to the full, to the max. And this leads us to another part of John's message, which is this sweet, certain promise. John says, all mankind will see the salvation of the Lord, all humanity, all flesh. He, of course, is quoting the words of the prophet Isaiah. Everyone will see God's glory. Well, that doesn't mean the first Christmas because you and I weren't there. Millions of people weren't there. It doesn't even mean the glory of the resurrection that first Easter because likewise, we weren't there. There's only one time when all mankind will see God's glory simultaneously and that's why our vision is bifocal. It's when Jesus comes again as he promised he would. And we confess that in the creed to judge the living and the dead. Everyone who's ever lived and everyone living at that moment will stand before Jesus. And Christ promises to those who repent, those who do their best to seek his mind and his will, that he's going to take them home to the Father's house. Those who do this kind of preparation, this repenting, have a life and a joy that is endless, that the world cannot give and is incapable of stealing from us. Jesus came to save you and me from the power of death that began to be at work the minute we breathed our first breath as infants. He came to free us from the power of sin at work in our lives, our homes, and our relationships. It's all about grace, which is a pure, unearned gift. It's all about Jesus, God's greatest gift to all of us. So here's some questions I'm going to be asking of myself these next weeks of Advent preparation. And maybe, just maybe, it would do you well to ask them of yourself as well. What am I doing for me with my life at this age of 60? You can fill in the blank for your age. What am I doing with this life? And that's more than your job or more than enjoying retirement. What are you doing with this gift of grace that God has freely given you? What is your legacy? What kind of legacy are you building? And Martin Luther said, whatever it is that you trust and love the most, that's your God. It can be anything or anyone. The question is, do you love Jesus and trust Jesus above all else? I mean, what is your ultimate 
trust. In whom, in what do you place that? And when you think about the answers to these questions, you see, you're doing exactly what John the baptizer said we should be doing. (laughs) Preparing. Cleaning house. (laughs) When you turn from your sin and I turn from mine, and ask God to help me be stronger, be more obedient. You're living the way Jesus calls you to live. And you are, in fact, preparing for his return. Christmas is coming. And this year it comes early, doesn't it? Advent 4 becomes Christmas Eve in a matter of hours. Christmas is coming. And so is Jesus. It could be tomorrow, it could be a thousand years from now, but he's coming. He's coming. And what are you going to do? What are you going to do to make ready? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.